In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. The man who does not know Christ does not know his own life. So says St. Hilary of Poitiers, one of our beloved church fathers. The man who does not know Christ does not know his own life. It's a provocative statement, surely one that strikes our 21st century American ears as absurd. We, of course, have best-selling Christian books telling us how to live a purpose-driven life. We have a manual describing how we can live our best life now. What does it mean that we don't know our life if we don't know Jesus? How can St. Hilary make such a statement? Well, you all know how the world thinks about these things. Many today think not only that life is centered around us as individuals, but that the fullness of life can be grasped by one's own effort and determination. Many think life is essentially about achieving our full potential, that finally it's all about self-actualization, being all you can be in this present world. People think they know the fullness of their life by crossing off things on their bucket list or comparing their nest egg with others and seeing whose is better. The phrase carpe diem becomes a motto to live by and even a creed. And the way Jesus functions in this scheme, if at all, is like a spiritual vitamin to maximize your experience of everything. Life is conceived of as something in which Jesus has a part to play, but nothing more. It's as if life were a football game and you are the star quarterback and Jesus is your number one fan or maybe a coach somewhere on the sidelines. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, people who think this way wouldn't recognize true life if it were standing right in front of them. As we learn from our text this evening, St. John has come to know and makes known to us the very life of the entire world. That which was from the beginning, he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. Notice how physical this language is. With these words, St. John tells us the logos of God, the speech of God, the sermon of God, by whom all things were made, has been manifested before his eyes. God has thus revealed himself in the theophany above all theophanies. St. John here describes how the second person of the Holy Trinity has united himself with his own handiwork. The evangelist speaks of the one who is the life with a capital L and is now embodied as we are, except without sin. Because of the incarnation, the transcendent God has become imminent. The infinite is united with the finite 
and life itself took on the weakness of our human form to die for us, that we would have communion with him. This is the testimony, the martyria in Greek, from which we get the word martyr. In a broad sense, martyrs are those who experience something extraordinary, and that thing then lives on, present tense, in the one who beheld it. That thing is ever before the martyr's eyes, living in them, as it were, and thus changes their whole way of life. They're not the same anymore. In the words of our text, St. John testifies to what he and the apostles have seen, and he makes Christ known to us, even as our Lord was made known to them. We have seen it and testified to it, he says, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And we must see here, dear Christians, that the incarnation of our Lord Jesus is the manifestation of life itself. It's the revelation of God in human flesh. In the body and blood of Jesus, the life and being of God is made known to us visibly, tangibly even. Now, this fact means many things, but tonight I just want to focus especially on one in particular, and that is this. Because of the incarnation, because of the union of the two natures in Christ, this means the flesh of Jesus is life-giving. The body of Christ is absolutely brimming with divine energy and life. And by faith, we partake of that life, which was with the Father in the beginning. Here's an analogy of how we participate in it. You came into life when you were conceived in your mother's womb, and now you are sustained in that life, especially by food and drink. And in the same way, you've come into eternal life by being baptized into Christ. You've been united with him by water and the word, and so are incorporated, embodied in him into eternal life. And as if that weren't glorious enough, we're also nourished and sustained in this new existence by the food and drink of the Lord's Supper. In fact, we partake of the divine life of God visibly and concretely as often as we partake of the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. That's what Holy Communion is. It's no wonder then that we can see this theology in our text from St. John. Look at what he says in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship, that is koinonion, or communion, with us. And indeed, our koinonia, our communion, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is what we have in the incarnation, dear ones. Last week, we learned that the incarnate Son of God reveals to us our Father in heaven since Christ is, of course, the enfleshed image of God. And tonight we learn that Christ Jesus is the life, with a capital L, which was with the Father in the beginning, and has come that we might have life in abundance. But not just any life. I'm not talk we're not talking about life in, in terms of the world, and the way that the world knows it. No, St. John speaks of the divine life of God in Christ, 
and our participation in it by faith. And this ultimately is why our Father in heaven created us. Why are we here? This is why. This is why the Son of God assumed our nature, that we would enjoy endless, unbroken communion with God and with one another into the ages of ages. So you see, dear friends, in coming to know Jesus, we've been received into communion with the one who is life incarnate and in whom we have life. And along with that, we also know some other things. In the first place, for everyone in the world who doesn't know Jesus, who's not in communion with God, they are cut off from life. Think of all the people that you know right now who don't know Christ. They are the walking dead. This is why and how it is that Jesus can say things like, let the dead bury their own dead. Communion with God in Christ Jesus is serious business, dear Christians. There can be nothing more important than this. So that's one thing we can say. Here's another in the words of St. John himself. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So if we say that we have communion with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. To use Pauline terms, we cannot think we're in communion with God while we let sin reign over and in our mortal body, giving ourselves over to complete obedience to our sinful passions. As sons of light, we war against our lusts, our greed, drunkenness, apathy, and all other vices. For walking in these things is walking in darkness. It's active, ongoing rebellion against God. It's complete spiritual lawlessness. It's a living death. So too, though, if we say we have no sin or that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Where the text says we deceive ourselves, the Greek word here is a form of the verb planao, from which we get the English word planet. Planets wander in the night sky. They're not fixed in one place. And in the same way, we cause ourselves to wander from the truth of God's word if we say we have no sin. As children of God in this life, we must recognize we're at once saints and sinners. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. That is, he will not reckon them against us and punish us accordingly. He won't do it. For the sake of his Son, our crucified and risen Lord, God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will enlighten our hearts and minds and even our whole being by his Holy Spirit. We live by faith in Christ, trusting God's promises and walking in the light of God's word. And as St. John says, if we walk in the light, as God is in the light, we have communion with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. This is the life of true penitent believers, dear ones. This is what the glorious path of light looks like. In all of these things, 
How can we not make it our sacred desire to know Christ more deeply? How can we do anything but be drawn to the Lord of life? Who wouldn't want to take just five minutes out of their day and open the Holy Scriptures and contemplate them in prayer? To have the Word of God give forth its light and to see it transfigured before our eyes as we see Christ permeate and fill every page. And how wonderful and salutary and pious it is to come into church a little bit early each Sunday, just a little bit, and take time to sit here quietly, reverently, and to ponder, to reflect on what it is you're about to partake in, to think on the one who comes to meet you here in water and the word, in the bread and the wine, and what you receive in these things. Pray, dear brothers and sisters, that God would open your heart to receive his word and that it would transform you by the renewing of your mind. For we are those who have been enlightened and walk in the light, being transformed from one degree of glory to another, the scriptures say. We are those who have come to know our life. We know Jesus, the incarnate Son of God who has come to save us from our sins. To the same Jesus Christ be all power, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen.